Welcome to Save Six Figures with Gina Knox, the podcast where I coach you on how to save $100,000 by optimizing your cash flow. Hello, savers, and welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the How Did Gina series. I'm very excited for day two. Today, we're going to talk about how I bought a condo in the San Francisco Bay Area caveat with my husband. (laughs) Um, But we're going to talk all about real estate and acquiring real estate, especially in high cost of living areas. Um, I definitely have clients who live in low cost of living areas, but I know that a lot of my clients don't. And they think that, well, just I, you know, I live in a high cost of living area, so it's impossible for me to buy real estate. We're going to talk all about it. As a reminder though, I have to, have to, have to remind you, Monday morning, 8 a.m., this next Monday morning, Seven Figure Wealth applications open. I'm so excited. Oh my God, I literally cannot wait to see all of your guys' applications and get the process started. God, I'm so excited. Anyways, um, for the people who join Seven Figure Wealth within the first 24 hours, so before 8 a.m., on Tuesday. You have 24 hours. The people who join will be invited to join me in Austin, Texas for the Wealthy Weekend Retreat. This weekend retreat is a launch bonus only for the people who join in the first 24 hours. Okay. So that's why I'm harping on it so much is because there is a very limited time window to qualify for this bonus and I don't want anybody who wants to be there to miss it. So I am plastering the news everywhere I can, okay? Set an alarm on your phone, set a reminder on your calendar, do what you gotta do. And like I've said before, there are gonna be very, very limited sales call availability on Monday. So if you want to book a sales call, you don't have to, you can go straight to checkout and just join from the application. But if you do wanna speak to me before joining, there's going to be very limited sales call availability. Your best bet is to submit your application as quickly as you can. If you do not get a sales call slot, but you want to speak with me, we're also hosting an open house at 5 p.m. on Monday. It's going to be open to the public. I will be there. I'm going to present everything that's happening inside of Seven Figure Wealth, everything that you're going to get. And then we have lots and lots of time for Q&A. You don't even really have to stay the entire time. If you just want to pop in, get some questions answered, and then leave, that's cool with me too. But um, the information for the open house will be going out through email. So if you're not on our email list, go to our website, www.ginanox.co to get on our email list, and you will receive emails about the, the event with the links, with the Zoom, with everything. Okay. Now that I've made that announcement, let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about real estate. And let's talk about how Gina bought a condo. By the way, the most beautiful condo in the world. Ugh, I still dream about it in the SF Bay area. So I wanna start off with this conversation of high cost of living areas and all of the narratives that we have been told by society, friends, family, the New York Times, I don't know, everyone. (laughs) Because I feel like, especially for millennials, there has been this narrative that we'll never be able to afford to buy a home. 
right? Like, oh my gosh, we'll never be able to buy houses. Houses are so expensive. It's impossible for me. And I don't want to negate the real statistics on how much housing has increased in price over the last, you know, 30 years on wage stagnation, on how the prices of homes have outpaced wage increases. Like, I know that the statistics are not great, okay? I know that it is objectively, statistically difficult for so many people, and we really do have a housing crisis in this country. I'm not trying to negate that reality. But at the same time, there is such a culture of negativity around home purchasing, specifically for millennials and Gen Z, where we've just been told since high school, like, tough luck, right? Like, good luck ever buying a house. Good luck ever retiring. You guys are all saddled with student debt and it's just over for you, (laughs) right? Like, good luck. And I know from firsthand experience and from coaching my clients that we have been so inundated in this story that oftentimes we take it on as a belief, as just a circumstance. I had a client who talked about how she had wanted to own in the city that she lives, which is a high cost of living coastal city. And her her previous relationship of nine years was very much like, we're never going to be able to afford to buy here. We're going to have to move to the suburbs if we want to buy or move states. Like it's out of the question. And all of her social circle was very much in agreement with that message. Like it's just impossible for us here. If we want to buy a house, we're going to have to move far out of the city. And she kind of for a long time just accepted that as like that was the reality for her. And because she accepted that narrative... She never tried, right? Not even tried to buy home. She never actually looked into what she might be able to afford. There is a huge difference between going through the process, figuring out your finances, trying to get pre-approved, and and getting information back from lenders saying, we will only approve you for this amount and that doesn't exist in this area. That's a totally different conversation than, well, I'll just never get pre-approved anyway, so I'm not even going to try, right? Those are two totally different things. And when we're talking about this cultural narrative of I'll never be able to buy a home, oftentimes what what happens is that second scenario. People never even try and they opt out before gathering the facts. Now, if you're my client or if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I talk a lot about gathering the facts. Gather the facts first and then we'll make a decision. But you can't make a financial decision before you gather the facts. That is just creating assumptions and then letting assumptions lead your life. And we don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. It sounds awful. So um, I, I start off this episode by saying all of that because a big part of what it took to buy a condo in a high cost of living area was opting out of that narrative while at the same time holding compassion and and honestly anger that the current system has made it so that so many people can't afford to buy homes, right? Those two things can exist at the same time. And I very much held those two things at the same time in the process of looking for a home to buy. Okay, so let's get into it. How did we buy this place? I'm gonna take you through the four steps that we did. And inside of Seven Figure Wealth, I actually go 
far more in detail on this process, but I want to give you the highlight reel so you can kind of get a sense of how did we go from looking on Zillow at dream apartments to actually having the keys in our hands and owning one. Okay. So there are four steps, dream, prep, offer, negotiate. Okay. So I'm going to walk you through them. The first step is to dream. Now we actually spent years in this step. We spent a very long time dreaming about what we wanted, but we also spent a lot of time being wishy-washy, <laughs> okay? So we spent a lot of time going back and forth. We spent a lot of time um, trying to decide an area, a city, a neighborhood. We spent a lot of time in the dreaming phase, which is fine. There's no problem with that. Um, but when things started picking up is when we created our list of negotiables and non-negotiables. So my husband and I sat down and we were like, here's what we need in a house. Here's what we don't want. Here's what's like optional, right? And that is super, super important because when you have a clear list of negotiables and non-negotiables, what you can do is put those negotiables and non-negotiables into Zillow and get a small list of houses on the market that fit those needs. Now, why is that important? It's important because then you have an understanding of the price range that you're looking at. And that's very important for step number two, which is financial prep. So we spent a lot of time going to go into open houses, not really being serious. But then the moment we got serious and we listed out our negotiables and non-negotiables, we got a very clear sense of the price range that we were looking at. So we were looking at a price range of around 600,000 to 900,000. That was the general price range. We could have gone higher for nicer places, but we didn't feel comfortable in spending that much. So that was about the price range we were looking at. And this is important because once you have a price range in mind, then you can move into step two, which is financial prep. Now there's a couple things that you need to do to financially prepare to buy a house. The first thing you need to do is an asset audit. An asset audit is, okay, what are all the stuff that we have? all the bank accounts, all the cash, all the investment accounts, retirement accounts, any other assets. What are all of the assets that I can pull from to either use for a down payment or that I'm going to use to prove to the lender that I have enough money to afford this house? Okay. A assets audit is crucial because once you have a number the number of assets that you have, then you need to determine what your cash plan is. Okay, so let's say that you were going to buy a million dollar home and you were going to put 20% down. Well, you're going to need $200,000 in order to put that down payment. So if you only have $150,000, then we know either you're going to put less money down and pay PMI, or you're going to have to figure out a way to make up that 50K, right? So you just have more information, right? We gather the facts, we get the information, then we put a plan in place. So what we did was a assets audit and we saw how much cash we had in our like liquid cash in our checking and our savings. And then we also looked at our investment portfolio and we realized pretty quickly that if we're going to buy a place, we're going to have to sell some of our stock portfolio. So we had a discussion about that. We had a discussion about how much of it we would feel comfortable selling, um, how much of it we wouldn't, which accounts we were going to pull from, 
right? Because we had multiple different investment accounts and, um, and we had that discussion together and we sat down and we created a cash plan. Now, buying a home requires more cash than just the down payment. You do have the down payment, but you also have the closing costs. You have to pay the realtors. You have to pay the notary public. You have to pay the title company. You have to pay inspectors, right? There's lots of other closing costs that you need cash on hand for. And then the biggest thing is you need cash to move. Like so many of my people forget that moving costs money. So you need more cash on hand than just the down payment. So you have to sit down and create a cash plan. And if you have the cash, you're great. You're good to go. If you don't have the cash, you just need to decide how are you going to fund it? Are you going to fund it with your business? Are you going to make more sales? Are you going to have a launch? Are you going to fund it by selling off parts of your portfolio, which is what we ended up doing? How are you going to make up the difference? And remember, right, like this is, again, gathering the facts so that you can make a plan neutrally versus just saying like, nope, I can't do it. (laughs) Okay. All right. So now we move into offers. So offers are really simple and it's shocking to people how fast this process goes once you get to this stage. Like first time homebuyers are always surprised at how fast this goes. Okay. We had our cash plan. We had our general, um, budget range. We had our negotiables and non-negotiables. We go and start seeing places and we fell in love with one place in particular that was on the exact street that we wanted in the neighborhood that we wanted. It had all of our negotiables and non-negotiables. It had everything that we wanted and it was priced, I would say on the higher end of our budget. So We were okay, but it was still, you know, like, okay, this is definitely coming towards the end of our budget. And I remember going to the open house. It was August 2020. So there were tons of COVID um, regulations about what we could and couldn't do. And we went to this house and I just immediately fell in love. Like this condo was meant for me. We looked around at everything. It was so beautiful. The light in the apartment was gorgeous. And I remember sitting down on like the the couch from the staging company and looking at my husband, looking at the realtor and saying like, uh, this is the one, <laughs> like this is the one. We've been to so many other uh, open houses and none of them were great. This is the one. And I remember telling my husband like, I, I want you to get me this house. <laughs> Like low key, do anything it takes to get this house. And it's kind of funny because a couple years later, I heard from a realtor here in Texas that there is this um, urban legend or folklore, if you will, that if you are at an open house and you sit down in the house, that you are destined to own that house. There's something about like, if you feel so comfortable in the space that you feel comfortable enough to sit down in a home that you don't own, like you're going to make an offer, you're going to get that house. So it was so sweet to think about that because we really sat on that couch for a long time, like discussing our strategy for how we were going to get the home. Okay. Now come offers. We told our real estate agent we wanted to write an offer and within 24 hours we had written one. Like this process is fast. They call, they submit an offer, you sign the papers, and if the sellers sign the papers too, now you're in contract. I think, and well, actually, here's what had happened. This is what happens when there's a high cost of living area with a lot of 
competition for homes. We submitted an offer and then their real estate agent calls us back and goes, well, we have another offer at this much. Can you match it or surpass it? So then we write a higher offer and then they take our higher offer to the other people and they say, hey, well, these other people wrote an offer for this. Can you match it? And that's what a bidding war is, is they just keep growing and growing and growing. And that happened. And at a certain point, we walked away because this is now, now that you've written an offer, now you're in negotiation. And the thing about negotiation is you have to be willing to walk. You have to be willing to walk. So I remember it had gotten to a point that was beyond where we were comfortable. And I, and I told my husband, it's okay. We'll let it go. Like I will move on. It is fine. And I was sad, but we, we moved on and we walked away from that beautiful, perfect dream apartment. (laughs) And a couple weeks later, we heard back from them and they said, our offer fell through or our buyers fell through. Would you be willing to write another offer again? And we did. And we ended up getting the place. And it was so thrilling because because we had walked away, right? I had made peace with the fact that we weren't going to get this place. And then they came back to us and we got it. And this is where the real work begins. And this is where it always catches my clients off guard how jarring this experience is. Once you're in contract, right? You've written an offer, you've signed it, the sellers have signed it, now you're in contract. Now you have to go through the underwriting process. There is a difference between pre-approval and underwriting. Pre-approval is, hey, I'm a bank, and I pre-approve you for a loan, meaning I think you're gonna qualify for a loan, so I'll write you this fancy letter on our letterhead that says that you're pre-approved so that you can go and make offers on houses. Pre-approval means nothing. Pre-approval doesn't mean you got a loan. It just is a fancy paper. (laughs) Underwriting is the process of actually getting the loan. And underwriting, they ask for, you know, two years of tax returns. And they ask for your bank statements for the last six months. And they ask for all of the statements from your investment portfolio. They ask for everything. And then they nitpick the shit out of you along the way. What is this for? What is that for? Why'd you move money here? Why'd you move money there? And my clients are always caught off guard with how involved the underwriting process is. I remember a client saying, I'm on the end of a 50 long email chain, like 50 emails long. And she's like, I'm exhausted. Like, this is ridiculous. I feel like I'm going to lose the house. I feel like we're not going to get the loan because this can't be normal that they're asking me so many questions and we're 50 emails in. And I remember like being like, no, it's very normal. 50 emails is very normal. The underwriting process, the entire underwriter's job is to nitpick you (laughs) because they need to make sure that they're lending money to someone who's going to give it back, right? So they need to nitpick you up and down and sideways. And it always catches my clients off guard, which is why I just want to put a disclaimer here in case you've ever been through the underwriting process or if you're planning on going through it, it is not you. It's just the process. <laughs> okay. And then we closed. So we wire transferred over $100,000 in one go, which was a little bit jarring for my nervous system. And then we owned the home. Now, of course, this is an abridged version. There is so much that goes into that process. There's so many contracts to sign and contingencies to waive or not waive, inspectors and reports, 
there's so many other things that go into it. But if we take a top view, we really just have to dream, create our list of negotiables and non-negotiables, do our financial prep, make offers, and negotiate. That is how we bought a home in a high cost of living area. And it all started with us assuming that we would be able to versus assuming that we wouldn't, right? If we assumed that we couldn't buy a house, we would have never tried. And that's what I see time and time again, not just from my clients in the mastermind, but my one-on-one clients as well over the years. I remember coaching a, um, single woman in San Francisco. She worked in tech and she flat out told me, I'm going to wait to buy a home until I have a partner because I can't afford it by myself. And I remember asking her, how do you know that? And she's like, well, I mean, that's just like what everybody says. Right. And I'm like, well, but how do you know for sure? Have you ever looked at how much it would cost? And she ended up buying a four bedroom home in San Diego. Right. This, I've, I've heard this story so many times where we disqualify ourselves because we think we can't do it instead of actually investigating whether we can do it or not, right? Okay, so that's how I bought a condo in the SF Bay Area. And I, will, I, I wanna make a caveat here um, because I think that this is relevant. We ended up selling over $100,000 of our stock portfolio for the down payment. So we didn't just have all the cash on hand that we needed. We did need uh, need to end up selling a very large portion of our stock portfolio in, in order to get the cash. And that is normal. It's also why in Seven Figure Wealth, I have you build up your stock portfolio to 100K first. Because when you have 100K in the stock market in assets and you have your savings in your business and your savings in your personal, it's so much easier to acquire real estate when you have lots of potential different places to pull money from within your overall wealth portfolio versus if you only have cash, if you only have your savings account, you only have one place to pull money from, it can feel a lot tighter. So I want you to have an abundance of options when it comes to how are you going to fund your down payment and your closing costs, which is why it's so important that you become an investor. It's so important that you flesh out your wealth portfolio beyond just your savings. It's so important that you start building up these different vehicles So that if you decide to buy, which by the way, you don't even have to, you could rent for the rest of your life and still make a ton of wealth. But if you decide to buy, you have so many places to pick from and it feels a lot more abundant rather than I'm forced to do it this one way. All right. That is the end of the story for now, at least (laughs) I might do more episodes on this at some point in the future, but I want to remind you Monday morning, 8 a.m., Submit your application to Seven Figure Wealth if you want to join us for this round. It is the last enrollment of the year, and we have had so many people buy homes already. I'm recording this in July, and two people have bought homes, one outside of the country, another person is in contract on a dream condo, and we have two someone rebuilding their home from scratch and another person remodeling. Like The amount of quick wins that we get around real estate and seven figure wealth is astounding. So if you have aspirations to either own a home or a condo for yourself, or to go into real estate investing and start an Airbnb business or start 
you know, just long-term rentals, we help you do that inside seven figure wealth. We've helped lots of our clients do it already. And we're only like three months into the mastermind for this round as of this recording, which is just insane. Okay. I will see you guys in the next episode. Take it easy.